Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. So we say, well, you know, why are you so soft? It's because the words that people speak now come in multiple forms, multiple directions, in multiple ways, and they never stop. And for us, our battle of faith is a battle of words. It is a battle of words. We've talked, God spoke the world in creation. He leads us by his word. And the enemy counterfeits that by trying to bring lies, attacks, and speak against us to battle those words God has spoken to us. And you can see it with the kids, but when I was growing up, that was normal conversation. Like we roasted one another. That's how you knew your friend was a friend. How much they made fun of you meant they liked you. I heard it all. Are those your legs or are you riding a chicken? Your hairline's not receding, it's retired. Some of y'all get that in a little bit. I've heard it all. And then you, our kids will do it and they'll say, well, I was just kidding. Like you can't call your sister ugly and then be like, oh, I'm just kidding. Like that's how we live now. We want to say something harmful and then once responsibility comes to our words, then we say, well, I was just playing. In reality, it's one big attack of the enemy to infiltrate our lives and to break us down, to discourage us, to harm us, and to hurt us from the outside in through the words that our mama, our daddy, our friends, our coworkers, the people at school, our teammates, friends, neighbors, they speak over our lives saying, you're not going to be good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You can never be what you think you're going to be. Everything you think is a lie. You hear it from your husband or your wife. They tear each other down with what? Words. Siblings tear each other down with words. It is a war of words. And what's amazing is even the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 that we're not against fighting against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. It even talks about arguments in there, meaning words that are used to argue against our faith. And I believe we're in a world today where there's more negative words, more hurtful words that people can't get away from. I just read a thing in the Times Daily last night about a, a girl, a teenager, who her friends were making fun of her at school. She went home, they started attacking her on DMs on Instagram and her Facebook profile or Snapchat, and they started telling her, we're all going to unfriend you, no one wants to be your friends, and she was suicidal. Because they were telling her she's going to be alone and they're going to unfriend her. If, if, listen, if somebody wants to unfriend you on Facebook, it's social media. Like, they're not your real friends anyway. They just wanted you to send them corn for their simulation farm or whatever it is they do. <laughs> like, we have, we've set up this imaginary world through social media. And now we're letting that dictate our real world and our real faith. And so these kids and even adults used to, if somebody was picking on you at school, you could go home and get away from it. Now you can't get away from it. It'll follow you wherever you go. And people are being destroyed. People are being discouraged. People are being attacked. People are being hurt. And we used to say, well, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. 
bruises heal, cuts heal, but things people say to us linger on the inside of us for long, long, long periods of time. I've lived it through family, through friends, through people I thought were friends. And what happens is words set up these moments in our lives there's two words for e events in the Bible, chronos and kairos. Chronos is where we get time and calendar, like the days of the week, the hours of the day. That's chronos. Kairos is a word that's used for special times, like seasons, special moments. And so we all have these special moments in life. We look back getting married, getting baptized, having kids. Those are kairos-type moments. But there's also what I realize is a lot of those moments are tied to words, so I'd say a kairos word is a word that stands out to you, that lingers with you, that was spoken about you, spoken to you, or spoken over you, that changed the direction or changed the perspective of your life or about yourself. And as you look back upon your life, you can realize that as that word was spoken, it changed something about you. It changed how you felt about yourself. It changed how you pursued your dreams. It changed how you looked at your spouse. Maybe they said a negative word to you, and now you just can't break free of what they said. These kairos words are moments in time where a word sits upon your brain or your mind or your heart or your spirit and begins to affect or alter your attitude, your faith, and your destiny. I believe God has kairos words where he comes into our lives. One of, one of mine is, I've shared my story, is, Alicia Sharpton, who's like a second mom to me, uh, you know, crazy. I was the kid from the other side of the tracks. Her, her son, her family was a great, like, you know, middle, middle class, great family. She was the youth pastor at our Baptist church in town. And I was walking through her neighborhood one day. Now I'm the kid that the first time I went to her house, I broke in. Her son was locked out. They were out of town. I'm like, man, I can get us in. He's like, how would you get us in? Pull up the credit card. I get in. He said, where'd you learn that at? I said, not at school. Broke in two years later, I'm walking through her living room, and she stops me. She says, has God called you to ministry yet? And that word that was spoken changed the direction of my entire life. And so those kairos words are words God will use in special seasons and special times to help guide us, to help lead us, to encourage us, to comfort us. But if you think God will do it, how much more do you think the enemy wants to bring a kairos word to stop what God is doing in your life? How much more do you think God, the enemy wants to speak a word to discourage you when God is trying to encourage you? How much more do you think the enemy wants to infiltrate our lives with words so we can't hear the word of God? And we need a word from God. Our culture, our kids, our churches, our people are being broken and beaten down by words every single day. And they come to church, they're looking for a word of God. And I believe one word of God can wipe away, like a dry erase board, can wipe away all the words somebody else has spoken of your life. Can wipe away all the pain. Can wipe away all the frustration. Can wipe away all the, the fear and change your life for a better direction. If you would, stand to your feet as we read 1 Corinthians 12. The last week we talked about Acts chapter 2. The week before that, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we talked about what it looks like when the Holy Spirit comes, the purpose we tell there's three purposes. The Holy Spirit brings supernatural perspective about the kingdom of God through the kingdom of God and about ourselves. 
supernatural purpose. I mean, now we know we're called to glorify God here on earth and advance his kingdom here on earth. And then spiritual power, supernatural power, enable, enable us to do that or to live out the gospel. Last week, we talked about what that sounds like. We said there's a sound of praise, a sound of prayer, and a sound of prophecy as Peter stood up to prophesy. Now we look at what Paul says to a church in Corinth that was in chaos. And if there's any churches in the New Testament that look like the American church, this is it. Corinth set on 20 miles west of Athens. It was a, a trade route. There was a lot of culture, a lot of entertainment, a lot of the world that had been in part of the church. Paul sees this. He's looking at the spiritual gifts. He talks about the immorality. There's, there's sexual sin and perversion in the church. He writes to them and says, listen, this is not godly. This doesn't glorify God. You're supposed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. Then he talks about the gifts of the Spirit that were given to build up the church. He says, y'all are using this to build each other up and to glorify yourselves. And this is given to strengthen and build God's church. So we have a church here that got out of the middle and leaned towards the chaos. I believe there's two types of churches, or three. Hopefully we're the third. One is churches that are dead and dry because they push away all the things of the Spirit. And churches that all they care about is the things of the Spirit get caught up in experience. They become kooky, spooky, and no longer founded on God's Word. Paul's saying, listen, you've gotten kooky, spooky out here. He said, you need to come right back to center upon God's Word and let the Holy Spirit empower you to live out God's Word correctly. Because he could say, if you are so spiritual, why is there so much sin inside the church? That's the way, if I was Paul, I would have done it, but he didn't. Verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. King James says, I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Meaning God has gifts for the body of Christ. And Paul, in correcting this church, says, I want you to know all about them. I don't want them to be something on the far. I want you to know about these things. In verse 4 he says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. What I think he's saying is where the Holy Spirit is, you'll see these things. If the Holy Spirit is in you, all these gifts are there. If the Holy Spirit is there, it's his gifts, his movement, his power. You'll see all these manifestations where the Holy Spirit is. He says to each, everybody say to each. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit still alive in here? Therefore, he wants to manifest himself. Why? For the common good. Not so you can call yourself a prophet. Not so you can think you're more spiritual than somebody else. The reason the Holy Spirit manifests his gifts in the church is to help everyone become more like Jesus. The common good. For the one given through the Spirit is the utterance of wisdom. You know, you don't hear very many charismatic churches say, ah, I've got the gift of wisdom. It's usually the other gifts. And I believe Paul writes these in order of importance. Wisdom to another knowledge according to the same Spirit. Another faith by the same Spirit. Another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another working of miracles. To another prophecy. And to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. And to another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions them to each one individually as he wills. That is super important. Because what Paul is trying to do here is he's making this shift in the church. For thousands of years, 
the church was built on, in, in Judaism, was built on, you had a high priest, Levitical priest, elders, and then the people. The only ones that could minister to God, the only ones that were empowered by God were the priests. If you needed to hear God or, or get a relationship with God, you had to go to the priest and say, hey, I need you to intercede for me in regards. Can you take this prayer to God? So they're, they're structured in this hierarchy. Paul right here is trying to shift them away from, listen, the pastor's not your voice. He's trying to say, the ministry is your ministry. All this stuff you saw in Judaism now is going to you, the body. Now these things work in the body for the common good. These gifts are not the pastor's, they're yours. Touch your neighbor and say, to each. John Wimber said, everybody gets to play. Meaning it's not just watching the pastor. There's no more spectators in the church. It's participators. Now skip over to verse 14. Paul goes through why love is the most prioritized thing in the church. That if you have the gifts, you don't have love, you don't have gifts. You have hype. And we're not about hype. We're about the gifts. He says in verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire. Everybody say earnestly. This is an imperative or a command. He's saying you pursue love and you earnestly desire the spiritual, spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. When was the last time you desired to prophesy? For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For one who understands, no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for what? Their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. That's key. He's saying prophecy is better because it doesn't have anything to do with you. He said if you pray in tongues, that's great. You're building yourself up. That, that's good. But how much better would it be to encourage the body? How much better would it be to comfort the person sitting next to you in the pew that's hurting and broken? How much better would it be to encourage your coworker who is going through a difficult time? Of, how much better would it be to comfort your friend who just lost a loved one? How much better would it be to speak for God to somebody else than just speaking to God? He said the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. He said, now I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Skip down to verse 12. And he says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations, so it's Paul's fault. He said, desire these things. Now they're eager to do it. He says, well, now that you're eager, make sure to strive to excel in building up the church. The gifts are to build up the church and you are the church. You are the people who need to be encouraged. You are the people who need to be comforted. You are the people who need to be built up. And skip down to verse 39 to close it out. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophecy. Again, he's telling them over and over again, eagerly desire this. Some of you come from backgrounds that tell you prophecy's over. The gifts of the Spirit have ceased. And I believe it's an attack of the enemy to make you think God doesn't speak anymore so you won't listen. People say, well, now the Bible is finished, it's good and perfect. And Paul said, when the good and perfect comes, then these things will cease. Well, the problem with that is, if that is true, Paul is giving you a command to do something you can't do. Therefore, this is no longer perfect and it's no longer true. Because if Paul is telling me, you need to earnestly desire to prophesy, and I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying, what kind of God would tell me to pursue something that does not exist? He says, eagerly desire to prophesy. 
and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be what? Done decently and in order. Father, we thank you for your word that is the authority in our lives, that guides us, that leads us, that speaks to us. And Father, right now, I just pray that you create a stirring and a hunger for the things of the Spirit. I pray for a supernatural hunger for your presence, a supernatural hunger for your gifts. But above all, Father, your body, your church to be built up spiritually the way you want it built. So Father, speak to every single person in this room today. Leave them encouraged, comforted, and built up in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Touch your neighbor and say, to each. To each. Each person is given gifts. And the one he says the most is prophecy. He says, I really wish you'd have all these gifts, but above all, I wish that you were eager to prophesy. So that means a lot of different things, a lot of different people. For some, it means Nostradamus. For some, it means, you know, foretelling the future. Here's our definition that, that we work with here. Prophecy is sharing God's thoughts, God's perspective, and God's messages that come to mind, that God brings to your mind to other people, meaning there has to be, not just God sharing something with you, but you, God sharing something with you, you sharing it to other people that leaves them built up, encouraged, and comforted. Why? Because people need encouraged, built up, and comforted. Wayne Grudem, his definition is, prophecy is simply this, sharing what God spontaneously brings to mind. Meaning God gives you something, you give it away. And I believe the more you do that, the more he'll give you. And you may say, well, in the Old Testament, you know, those words are in the Bible. Here's the difference between Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. Old Testament prophecy, the Spirit of God did not come inside of them. They were restricted. They were not born again. The Holy Spirit did not live inside of them. And it would say the Holy Spirit came upon them. So they built a temple, the Holy Spirit would come upon a builder or designer, and they would give them a great design or architect, and they would do amazing work. At war, the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Like David, he'd kill Goliath. The Holy Spirit would come upon a prophet, they would speak. The reason they could speak and say, thus saith the Lord, is because since the Holy Spirit came on the outside of them, it was an outside, verbally outside voice. Now in the New Testament, since the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me, if he shares something with me, I have to filter that through my emotions, my mind, my wife, my experiences, my traditions. I have to filter that voice through all this stuff before I let it out. That means in the Old Testament, it was God's thoughts and God's words. In the New Testament, Testament it's God's thoughts, my words. That's why my words, when I feel like I have a word, is not in this Bible. It's God's thought, but it's not translated actually correctly. And the reason for that is God is finished with this book, but he's not finished talking to people. We believe God still speaks because we still believe God is real. And since God is real, we believe he's personal, that he wants a relationship with us. And I've yet to find a relationship where I try to talk to somebody and they say, huh, I don't want to talk to you. Only Toya, but that's after football season. <laughs> so if God is real and God is relational, God has to still speak. And so I think our worry with the whole prophetic movement is the prophecy is a weapon or a gift or a tool. It's a weapon that God uses to fight off the lies of the enemy. And I think if there's ever a time we needed it, it's now. 
But I believe a lot of us, when I just say the word prophecy, if I say spiritual gifts, you're automatically like, ah, man, I don't know about this. Let's go find another church. This skinny jean wearing guys talking about prophecy and tongues and everything else. Let's take our kids to the Baptist church. That's what Toya said this morning. And the reason being is because you've never seen verse 39 actually lived out. Where it's done decently and in order. We've seen chaos. We've seen confusion. We've seen manipulation. We've seen control. But very few of us have seen decently and in order. Very few of us have seen biblically and holy. We see man. We see TBN. We see charismatic mania. And to be honest, I've been in the same spot. Like in 2014, we first got here through the first half of 2015, this church had a really strong prophetic culture. And in the transition between Pastor Doc and myself, it became very chaotic and controlling and manipulative. And I believe the reason for that is wherever the enemy sees a weakness, he will leverage that weakness for his benefit. And whenever there's a transition in any leadership, there's a weakness in that passing of the baton. And I believe that which God was using to encourage, to comfort, and to build up the church was now being used to attack, divide, and destroy the church. That which God used as a weapon, the enemy can use for a weapon as well. As a matter of fact, he would love to counterfeit something to use to destroy God's church. And so in this culture, you know, we were being attacked in this same season. Toya had uh, a sickness and she was in ICU for a week. She couldn't walk for a year. She couldn't talk for a month. It was chaos. That summer, Ariana had a bicycle accident, spent three weeks in ICU with a punctured lung, uh, ruptured spleen, cracked ribs, fractured skull, brain bleed. RJ broke his wrist at a baptism at Wilson Park. I'm baptizing people and I see them carrying RJ off and his arm's in half. I'm thinking, Jesus, I'm trying to do your work here. Could you like just help a brother out for one minute? <laughs> it, was, it was chaos. So I had, I had this prophetic chaos, had this life chaos. It's like all these attacks of the enemy coming. And I remember I went to this, this there's two things. This, this woman came to our church with a strong prophetic gift. And she walked in. And it was a season, it was just, you know, just, God, I need you. Like crying out in my office, God, I just need, I need, I need you to confirm that everything's going the way you want it to go. I just want to please you, I want to honor you. And I actually wrote down the words that she said. There's, there's three words she gave me. The first one is, when, you're, when you go skiing on the snow, it looks nice and flat, but there are actually bumps upon the snow. The bumps in the snow, though scary, actually help you gain momentum. They said it's easier to build a new house on a new foundation than it is to crawl underneath an existing house to fix the cracks, holes, and compromises with the weight of the house weighing down on you. It takes more time, more planning, and more patience. It also takes insight and courage because most of the other people are so focused upon the structure that they will never see the flaws in the foundation until it causes the structure to collapse. When she said those words, it just breathed life in me. It encouraged me. It comforted me. It built me back up to let me know, God, I'm doing what you're doing. Thank you for confirming your voice in my life. And see, when prophecy works correctly, it'll always leave you built up. It'll always leave you encouraged in the spirit, not in the emotions, in the spirit, leave you built up. And we're in a day and age, people need to be built up. The reason we need prophecy in our church is because there's lots of people sitting around us in these pews people outside of our jobs and our school that have been torn down by the words of the world. 
And they need a word of the Lord to build them back up. There's others that have been just destroyed and discouraged by life as a whole. They need God to come alongside of them and encourage them in the spirit. Other people need to be comforted that are going through difficult seasons of storms and fire. They need to be comforted. Other people need to know that God's word, this word is real. It's not just words upon a paper. That prophecy takes this word and brings it to life in your specific situation. And it makes it a lot so people know that this word is real, God is real, and God is paying attention to what I'm going through. And above all, we need God to strengthen and build and prepare his church for his second coming. Like Jesus is coming back and he uses his body to prepare and build her up, to strengthen her, to encourage her, to keep on waiting, to keep on being faithful, to keep on trusting, and to make sure there's the right foundation so when he comes back, he's pleased and we can go back with him. Like we need prophecy. We need prophecy as a weapon to cut through the clutter of the world, to break off the lies of the enemy so that the church of God, you can be strong and encouraged so you can keep walking the walk of faith. And so this is what it looks like here at chapel. Decency, decently and in order has to be done a certain way. And there's five spheres, four right there in your book. And I believe these work kind of outside in, outside being everybody that narrows down. But the first is this, the strongest prophetic voice and most authoritative prophetic voice in this church and in our lives and the world is this voice right here. There's too many people seeking a prophetic word that their Bible has dust on it. If you want God to speak to you, open this word. I've been doing biblical reading meditations, and it is rocking my world. When I slowly go through verse by verse, I read it, I write it, I pray it, and I sing it. The revelation God is sharing with me and speaking to me is amazing. Why? This is God's word. I believe every single word in this book. They're not burning the Hunger Games book in Russia. They're not burning, you know, Nicholas Sparks novels in other countries. They burn the Bible. If it's a myth, why would they burn it? It's because the enemy knows more than the church knows that this word produces life, freedom, encouragement, strength, and eternal life. If the church only knew what the enemy knew, we'd probably be a lot farther off than we are. So number one is this is God's main prophetic voice. This is the authority. So much so last week we talked when the, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost, he didn't stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. He stood up and read Joel chapter 2. Because if, it doesn't confirm, if it's not confirmed by the word of God, it's not God's word. The second sphere is prophetic presence. And this is an expectation for all believers. Touch neighbor say all. What this means is in 1 Corinthians 2, so the Holy Spirit is within us to teach us the things God has given to us. That means the Holy Spirit, the moment you get saved, he lives inside of you. And if he lives inside of you, he can talk to you. As a matter of fact, he wants to talk to you. And some of you heard God speak before and you don't even realize it. You've been praying for wisdom on a job and you picked the right job because the Holy Spirit spoke to you. For some of you, you didn't know how to handle a situation and you handled it correctly because you prayed and the Holy Spirit guided you through that situation. The Holy Spirit speaks to us all the time. Why? Because he lives inside of us. Why would the Holy Spirit leave heaven and come live inside of us? Because he wants us to have a relationship with him. 
He wants to speak to us. He wants to encourage you, comfort you, and build you up personally. Every single believer can hear God. That's why we push. I don't want you depending on the pastor. I don't want you depending on a Sunday service. We do sick nights so we can stretch you. So you'll go and you'll spend time with God. You'll pray. You'll read your Bible. And you'll start listening to God for yourself. Because your relationship with Jesus is personal. But it's never private. It's community oriented. So that sphere one is everybody can be prophetic or hear God. Number one. Number two. Prophetic spirit. Meaning, since the Holy Spirit is inside of you, he can communicate something to you. He needs to communicate to somebody else. That's why Paul said, I want everybody to prophesy. He didn't say, I want a few. He said, I want everybody. Be eager that everybody can prophesy. Why? This is an opportunity for every believer. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, There'll be opportunities where he wants to share something with you to share with somebody else. Why? Because the Holy Spirit knows the people around you who are broken, who are discouraged, who are going through difficult seasons that need to be encouraged, comforted, and built up. He knows. He's inside of you. So the way it works, if the Holy Spirit's inside Toya and he's inside of me, the Holy Spirit in me can tell me what she's going through. He can share with me her pains, her discouragements, her frustrations, and he'll use me to share what he wants to say to her to get her through it. You say, well, why can't God just talk to her? He can. But God so much wants us to depend on each other that he'll use one another to minister to one another. When you, when you get this reality that the disciples looked at the Holy Spirit as the same person as Jesus absent the body. And so when Paul here is saying the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and encourage you, to build you up and to comfort you, what he's really saying is Jesus wants to speak to his people. Jesus wants to build people up, encourage them and comfort them. But since he's absent a body, he's looking for a body to use. And he's looking for a body, what does he call the church? The body. So if Jesus is going to keep working today and minister to people today, he's going to use a body, and that body is you and me. He needs a voice to speak encouragement to somebody. He's going to use your voice. He's going to use hands to comfort somebody. He's going to use hands to feed the poor and give water to the thirsty. He's going to use hands to show compassion and mission. He's going to use somebody. He's absent a body, and he's looking for a body, and he says, the church, you're supposed to be the body. He's saying, there's people around you discouraged. I need you to encourage them. There's people around you that are broken. I need you to build them back up. There's people around you that are hopeless. I need you to comfort them just a little bit. And none of you can't do it all. Like when Toya was having our kids, so she was pregnant three times. We got four kids because of twins. When she's in the labor and delivery room, I've never been through that before, but it looks pretty painful. So I'm not speaking from experience. I'm speaking from the person holding her hand, wiping the sweat off of her. My job while she's going through the pain of delivering something, is to encourage her and comfort her. I can't experience it with her, but I can walk alongside of her and hold her hand and say, babe, just keep on going. Once it's done, it's going to be over with. It's going to be amazing. We have a beautiful baby girl. We have beautiful baby twins. But, you know, if, when RJ's born, it may get worse. I just don't know. <laughs> and I can comfort her. I can rub the sweat off. I can encourage her. I can help her breathe. Do you realize... I can't go 
through the pain with her, but I can go through the situation alongside of her. And my job is to comfort her in the middle of the situation and encourage her through the situation. In the same way, there's people in this room who are delivering destinies, dreams, hopes, prayers, families, sons, daughters, and they need somebody to come alongside them, grab them by the hand, wipe off the sweat as they're pushing, encourage them. You know what? I know it hurts right now. I know it hurts right now, but it's only temporary because when it's over, you're going to deliver what God said he promised you. You can't do it for them, but you can hold their hand. That's why he says everybody needs to be able to prophesy because everybody needs to be encouraged. There's no one who is absent encouragement. So what's that look like? That means community is vitally important to the body. We don't talk about groups around here in community groups because we need another ministry. Like, to be honest, if we just do Sunday morning and, and impact ministry, missions ministry, I feel like we do a good job. But we'd be dis- destroying the body. The body is where you discover that somebody, God has shared something with somebody else to encourage you, to comfort you. That's where your strength comes from. That's where your body is built up at. It's not, it's not a ministry, it's life. Because God knows exactly what you need. So that's why we encourage you over and over again. Join a group. Be part of community. Because the people in the community experience the fullness of God more than the people just sit here on Sunday mornings. So what's it look like? I'm, I'm a firm believer that if somebody's going to share a word, say, hey, pastor, I have a word for you. I'm going to pull out my phone and say, let me record it. Which means all the kooky, spooky people are like, ah, oh, no, no, I don't know about that. Well, if you've got a word for me, I want to be able to keep it. I want to be able to remember it. I want to be able to go back through it. As a matter of fact, I have a whole file on my computer of words people have given me. I want to go back and look and see the encouragement that was given to me through the Lord. I want to see if those words came to pass and came true. And to be honest, years ago, we transitioned from one church to, back to Cornerstone, our home church. The first Wednesday night, this is, this is the kooky, spooky side. First Wednesday night, me and Toy are sitting there in the chairs. You know, worship is over. This lady grabs my hand. She's like, hey, I, I feel like I have a word for you. I'm like, okay, what is it? She's like, basically, you need to get saved. What? Are you judging me because the way I dress? Like, I know I got skinny jeans on. I'm not gay, I promise. I got four kids. And she says, and I was like, ma'am, you know, I don't, I don't think that's the right word. <laughs> like, I'm a pastor. She's like, you just get I was like, I, you know, I, I'm trying to be nice. You know, I don't think that's the right word. And, and she's like, well, it could be deeper than that. You may not even know. I don't know, I need to get saved. And she just kept on. And so finally, like, and like, I think it was like six months later, pastors introducing me on the platform as one of the pastors on staff. And I remember watching that lady, and she was just like, oh, my goodness gracious. See, if God is going to speak, it needs to be tested by his word and confirmed. And so when I record a word, what that does, it allows me to test it over the period of time and also confirm it by God's word. So if somebody around here says, I have a word for you, just pull out your phone. And if it's not of God, they'll stop. If it is, you'll have it forever and ever to be encouragement for you for a long time period. The other side of that is, if somebody gives you a word, it should be confirmation, not revelation. I mean, if somebody says, hey, you know, I I think you should marry so-and-so, I don't even know who that is. See, here's what gets, (laughs) there's a youth pastor who worked for me years ago. He told me he was transitioning from the church. God had already told him. God had told him he's going to another church. He goes to youth camp. The speaker prophesies, this year's going to be the best year of your life at this church. Now, God had already told him he's leaving. 
the, the guy prophesied, he said, God's going to multiply and double in all the flattery language he speaks. And he comes back and he says, you know, I've already accepted the other offer. But, you know, he prophesied this is going to be the biggest year of growth ever. I was like, you going to sacrifice obedience for growth? I said, what did God tell you? He said, well, God told me I was supposed to leave. I said, God will never give you a new revelation about your life through somebody else. Because as soon as he does, now you're connected to that person rather than being connected to God. See, God wants to be your primary voice in your life. He'll use other people to confirm it, but he's not going to use other people to give you fresh or new revelation. Why? God cares more about you having a relationship with him than you just getting some revelation. And so you have to realize God wants to confirm some things through other people in your life, through the mouth of two or three witnesses. Number three, prophetic gift which is a ministry for some believers. So prophetic presence is for all. Prophetic spirit is opportunities for all. This one is for some. So what it means is, Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 12, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, meaning it's a gift, a specific gift that some believers have to encourage and build up God's church. And when those gifts are active, here's what they look like in our church. Our preaching should be prophetic. Our worship ministry should be prophetic. Our altar ministry should be prophetic. You're saying, what does that mean? That means there is some preaching that is prophetic and there's some that's pathetic. There's a difference. Pathetic means I get somebody else's revelation and I try to come in here and tell you what they said. They found somebody else's message and they try to make it their own and come in and try to preach it. Preaching is impartation. So prophetic preaching is, I, I'm getting a revelation from God, and I'm soaking that up all week, letting it become part of who I am. Then I come here on Sunday mornings, I try to pour it out into the body. That's prophetic preaching. Same thing with worship. I told our worship team at our last creative meeting, I said, I said, we have to stop borrowing other people's revelation. What that means is, if you ever heard somebody sing Amazing Grace, and they've never really been through anything, like they're just singing a song, they'll, you know, they'll sing Amazing Grace. But somebody who's been through some things... Somebody who's lived the song, they think, I used to be blind. They'll sing it a little differently than somebody else. Why? They didn't write the song, but they've gotten the revelation of the song. So you can't be passionate about somebody else's revelation. But once you get a revelation, you can be passionate about it. So our worship team, they're there to process, declare God's word over the congregation. They're there to declare God's word and lead you and share their revelation of God with you so you can have that same revelation. They're there to help you come into their worship or their prayer closet and bring you in to help stretch you so you can worship and have your own experience with God. And the altar team, like their job is to encourage you, to comfort you, and to build you back up. How can I pray for you? And as they pray, God, I'm sure, will give them things that will help encourage you as they pray, help build you up as they pray. That's why the altar ministry is not just some place you come to get saved. It's a place you come to walk out your life together. Two and three gather in my name. Two or three agree, it shall be done. That is the power of prophetic ministry. That's how it works here. That's why discovering your purpose through essential is such a big deal. All of you have gifts. To each is given a gift. Some of you may have prophetic gifts and don't even know it. And if you don't know it, it's detrimenting our church as a whole because we're not firing on all cylinders. And number four, prophetic office. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For what? For building up the body of Christ. So the office 
of profit is there to build up the church. This is a calling just for a few. I'm obviously not called to be a prophet. I know a few that are, but when they are, they have a voice that's larger than the room. What that means is my voice is in this room. Prophetic voices have a voice to the entire body many times, like John Bevere would be one. Pastor Lee at Radiant would be one. People that have a voice about what God is doing and what God wants to do in the body of Christ as a whole. And that's when that functions correctly, it leaves churches strengthened, built up, and persevering. And as a matter of fact, it'll help you make it through life. Me and, and back in 2015, early 2015, me and Ray Sartain, one of our elders, went to a prayer meeting, minister's meeting at Bethel Church in Brentwood, Tennessee with Pastor James Lowe. So I think we had Tuesday night or Monday night dinner. I'm at dinner, just a bunch of pastors, like they're all ex, a lot of them are ex-college athletes. So it's a lot of competition going on in the room. They said, hey, tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., we're going to have some prayer time. And then also, Jim Critcher, who's a prophet, has some words he's going to share with some of you as pastors and leaders. I pulled James aside. I said, man, I, I don't want to come. He said, what do you mean you don't want to come? I said, dude, if you knew what I've been through the last six months, you'd understand. And I went through the whole thing with him. He said, listen, it doesn't go down like that. He said, gifts don't empower people. The gifts empower the church. And he started walking me through, and he said, he said if somebody has to tell you they're a prophet, they're not a prophet. He said, because the Bible says your gift makes room for you. So if you have to have apostle or prophetess or prophet or pastor or reverend on your business card, I'm probably not going to listen to you because you're using a title to get equity. When Jesus encountered the woman at the well, he didn't say, I'm a prophet and you need to stop sleeping with all these men. He showed up and he says, he says Shirley, where's your husband? He says, well, he's, he's not here. I know, and the, husband, the guy with you now is not your husband. You've been married four times. And she said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Duh. The gift made room. And so the way it functions correctly, I'm at this meeting I'm telling James, I, dude, I don't want to come. I, I don't want to be a part of this. He says, just watch. He's like, it's done decently and in order. So I show up. We have some prayer time. We're sitting there, sitting in this chair. The guy comes up. He's from Virginia. Never met me in his life. Like, I'd never seen this guy. never heard of him. Never met him. He didn't, obviously didn't know who Toy was. We're sitting there, and he points at me, and I'm like, oh, crap. He said, brother, he said, God showed me about you last night. And he, go, he gives this prophecy, and I'll paraphrase it a little bit. He said, it feels like right now you're going through a tornado. He's like, it's a Wizard of Oz type prophecy. That it feels like your life is this house inside the tornado, and you're just turned around. You don't know which way's up, which way's down, which way's left, which way's right. You don't know if you're ever going to land. He said, I want to encourage you that as quickly as the tornado started, it's going to stop. He said, when it stops, the house is going to land on the wicked witch, wicked, wicked witch of the West. I don't want to mess that up. <laughs> wicked Witch of the West. He said, once it lands on her, you won't have to deal with it again. And he says, your wife. He's like, the enemy picked the wrong woman. He says, she's going to get up out of that wheelchair. And when she does, she's going to give hell a case to run with. He says, she's going to ravage hell with the glory of God and with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, because the enemy has no idea which woman he picked. And as he did, he had no clue she was in a wheelchair. He had no clue that now she's leading our missions endeavor, Chapel Haiti, sending teams there. We're sponsoring almost 60-something kids now, feeding them, watching them get fed spiritually, physically. The Dream Center has been her project. It's like the enemy had no clue the woman that was in a wheelchair is going to be the woman making a difference in this area and all over the world. Like, and, and then Ray was there, and he gave Ray a word for his family. I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, if I would have despised the prophecy, 
instead of being eager for it, I would have missed that confirmation God was giving me. And I think many times we push off the very things we need the most. And so for prophetic presbytery for us, this is, this is what it is. It's a way for us to walk out the Bible in a way that's decently and in order. And this is what it looks like. About a month and a half ago, the, the staff here nominated names that for people we thought needed to receive ministry, people that you know, maybe in leadership, people needing encouragement, comforted, built up, whatever it may be. So we took those names and the elders, we, we confirmed six of those names or couples. So I have a list of who those people are, but to the presbyters, there's three presbyters because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, God's word is confirmed, so that's why there's three. They all have prophetic giftings. I have a personal relationship with all three of them, and here's how it works. We sent them a month and a half ago. All they have is candidate couple one, candidate couple two, candidate single one, candidate couple three. That's all they have. And for the past month and a half until presbytery, they've been praying over those basically blank names. They've been praying for them. God, where do they need to be encouraged? God, how do they need to be built up? God, how do they need to be comforted? They've been praying over and over again at presbytery on both Sunday night and Monday. When we come here, it's going to be just like service. It'll be worship. It'll be prayer. And then it's time for presbytery. I'll get up here. I'll explain it again. And then we're going to call the first couple up. They'll come sit on the platform, and each presbyter will share the word they believe God gave them. We're going to record it. And after all of them are done, the second one comes, then the third one comes. And if there's time, there'll be some altar ministry for personal words for other people if they have it or not. And then after presbytery's over, we're gonna, this builds the, the order in the service, but then also instills accountability. We're going to sit down with each one of those candidates with a tri- transcribed copy of the word that was spoken to them. And we're going to confirm it line by line. That way, people can't just say whatever they want to. They can't just give fluff. It has to be what God is saying. Then we're going to copy that, give them a video, and give it to them so they can hold on to it because here's what it says in Scripture. 1 Timothy 4, Paul's talking to Timothy. In verse 14, he says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders or the uh, presbytery of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What he's saying was, he received the gift in a prophetic presbytery. He's saying, but now he has to keep it, watch over it, and fulfill it so he can honor God with it. So once we're done, they have that, and we can confirm God's word through them and everybody else. And what I believe is going to happen, we're going to see the word walked out. We're going to see the Holy Spirit walked out. And it's going to create a hunger in our church for the things of the Spirit. It's going to create a hunger for prophecy because we know people around us that need to be encouraged, comforted, built up. And the only way people can really get a hunger for something is to taste it. And so many of you, you've never really seen the gifts of the Spirit or things of the Spirit in a healthy way. And I believe this can be an opportunity for you to see it, for you and your friends and family to see it in a healthy way and get a hunger for it. Just like, so here's the difference between me and Toya. I like hole-in-the-wall restaurants. Toya will not walk into a hole-in-the-wall restaurant. I love Thai food. You can't get good get, get Thai food in a non-hole-in-the-wall restaurant. Like, it's just it's part of the culture. So there's a new Thai restaurant. I loved it. I'd go there, I'd get my Thai coffee, my, my pad Thai. I loved it. So as a spouse, when I love something, I want to share that with my spouse. I'm selfless. Some people are selfish. So I try it. I'm like, babe, let's go to Thai food kit and try this Thai food. We pull up. It's an old Mrs. Winters building that they literally just painted over the sign. Like it's, it's, it's decrepit. And she says, I'm not going in there. 
Wait, babe, but they get the best pad thai in the world. Like, they got Thai coffee. They got this. She's like, I'm not going in there. So we go in. <laughs> I'm sitting at the table. I'm so excited. She's like, I'm not eating any of this stuff. I'm not eating it. I'm like, just try it. So the kids get something. I get it. They're like, man, this is awesome. I'm eating my pad thai. It's spicy. It's incredible. I'm like, babe, just try it. She's like, no. I said, just try it. So finally, I gave her like a little bite. She's like, it's disgusting. I'm like, What? Like, it's amazing. So we leave there. I thought that we're having like this bonding, intimate moment in our lives over Thai food. We leave. I'm like, I guess I can only eat Thai food by myself. Like, my wife doesn't want to be one. She doesn't want to be a partner. She doesn't want to be, you know, helpmates. <laughs> Two weeks later, I get in her car to take it to get gas or get it to washed or something. And I smell something. I'm like, what is, what is that smell? I look under the passenger seat. And there's a to-go box. And I opened the go box, and it's Thai Phuket. And I said, babe, uh, you, you got some explaining to do, Lucy. <laughs> I said, you said you didn't like it. She's like, why, well, I lied. I liked it a lot. She's like, but I don't want to eat there, so I go get it to go, and then I leave. I said, but you didn't want to tell me? She said, no. What happened was she thought she wasn't going to like it, but once she tasted it, it created a hunger for something she didn't know she had a hunger for. And some of you, you have a hunger for something, but you don't even know you have a hunger for it. And until you taste it, you're not going to create the hunger. And so prophetic presbytery is all about creating a hunger in you for the things of God. So you'll grow, you'll be comforted, you'll be encouraged, you'll be strengthened, and God's church can be built. That's who we are. We are a word and spirit church. We want all of God's word and all of God's spirit so we can build God's church and make an impact in the world for his name. If you would, stand to your feet all over the room. Father, we thank you that your word is the authority in our lives. That everything we need is written in black, white, and red. Father, we also thank you for your spirit that brings your word to life in our specific situations, our specific circumstances and decisions and moments. And so, Father, we thank you for your spirit who speaks through other people to share encouragement, to share insight, to share comfort, and to build us up as a body. And so, Father, I just pray for these next few weeks that we can be praying and thanking and expecting you to speak and answer prayers through presbytery. Father, I pray that you create a stirring in this church for the things of the Spirit. Hunger for your gifts, Father. And just as Paul told the church in Corinth, that they would eagerly desire the gifts, especially that they may prophesy. So, Father, I just pray that you give us a spirit of encouragement. That as we're around co-workers and schoolmates and teammates and neighbors and family, and friends, that you'd give us a spirit of encouragement to leave everyone we come in contact with encouraged spiritually, comforted in their time of struggle and need, and built up upon the foundation of your word, the foundation of grace, and empowered by your spirit. So we thank you, we bless you in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. As you leave, don't forget, next Sunday, 9.30 and 11.15, have a great week. We'll see you next week.